the Spirit of God, when we accepted the Savior, we were born of the Spirit. That meant a new life. I'm not going to go into it again except just to mention to pick up the connection. Of a new life, new relationships. But now the children of God, belonging to the family of God, and eternal living sovereign God is my father and your father when he's family. Sometimes he has to kind of chasten us, that's true, but we need it. And he always limits it. Now the second one, where we start today, the second one is every believer in Christ Jesus is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to indwell him. Now some people mix up the indwelling spirit with the filling of the spirit. It's two different things. There's something God does. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God came to indwell you. What for? What's the purpose of it? That you and I might be channels to express the very character and heart of God to men. Boy, what a responsibility. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God has never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me. The Spiritual Life class on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast continues with the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. In this lesson, Dr. Mitchell takes up the Bible's teaching of the Holy Spirit's indwelling of the Christian when he was born again by God. And on the subject of the indwelling of the Spirit, Dr. Mitchell will give us four scriptural truths to hear and believe. The first thing we will hear is the Lord's own promises found in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And he spoke to his disciples in the upper room, and he promised to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in them, which did happen in Acts chapter 2. So let's open our Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This reveals the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in Christ. Here is Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Now in our last lesson, we, we, we started on four things that the Spirit of God does in the heart and life of every believer. Remember that? Something that God does. That's something that you do. Something that God does. And there's been a great deal of confusion among many of God's people concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we, we must stay by the Word of God. As we said before, we must judge our experiences in the light of the Word, not the other way around. Don't judge the Word in the light of your experience, but the other way around. And last, we took up the fact that the Spirit of God, when we accepted the Savior, we were born of the Spirit. That meant a new life. 
I'm not going to go into it again except just to mention, to pick up the connection of a new life, new relationships, where now the children of God, belonging to the family of God, and eternal living sovereign God as my father and your father, when he's family. Sometimes he has to kind of chasten us, that's true, but we need it. And he always limits it. Now the second one, where we start today, the second one is every believer in Christ Jesus is indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to indwell him. Now some people mix up the indwelling spirit with the filling of the Spirit. There's two different things. There's something God does. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God came to indwell you. What for? What's the purpose of it? That you and I might be channels to express the very character and heart of God to men. Boy, what a responsibility. If I think of it, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you are related to the Savior, you've taken him as your own personal Savior, he's left you down here, he comes to indwell you by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of revealing to this world something of the character and love of God for men. I think too many of us are kind of shy on this question of the character of God. When you read your Old Testament, you don't read these things about the indwelling spirit to abide with us forever and so on. But we see the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God, the power of God. He speaks and it's done. We understand by faith, I'm quoting from Hebrews 11, we understand by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of his mouth. He just spoke and the universe came into existence. He just speaks and it's done. And he wants men and women to know that God's heart is full of love for men and women. Boy, how he puts up, I don't know. When you think of the sin and corruption today, you wonder why God doesn't come in, in righteous judgment upon men. They curse him. They blaspheme his name. He does so many things. Yet he still wants to save men. That's what comes to my mind in 2 Peter 3, 9. You remember, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the indwelling spirit, the one who lives in you and in me, with the power of God living in you, become his channels to communicate to the world, to express to the world something of his love, his compassion, his tenderness, and yet his power and his character. So we take this up this morning. I want to get this thing very clear in your mind. This kind of a life defies imitation. You can't imitate a Christian life. It's supernatural. The Spirit of God indwells you for that. Now I've got five, four or five things I want to take up with you concerning this. Remember what I'm talking about. Every believer 
is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Take, for example, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. By the way, the Feast of Tabernacles will be completed when the Lord comes to reign. The millennium will be the completion of the Feast of Tabernacles. Every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and so on. That last great day of the feast, John chapter 7, Feast of Tabernacles. Our Lord was in there teaching the people, and he shouted out with a loud voice. He that believeth on me. How does that verse start? Excuse me. And I know it as well as I know you, which is not very much, I guess. Oh, John, I know it so well. John chapter 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. Our Lord, he is promising that every believer, after our Lord went to the throne, after crucifixion and resurrection, every believer would be indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's John chapter 7, 37 to 39. And I suggest Acts chapter 11, verse 17, where Peter speaks of the fact of them, the Gentiles receiving the Spirit just the same as they did. Now then, the first thing I want to say about our Lord's promise. This is, I want to give you one, two, three, four, five things on this question. First of all, our Lord's promise. Now, I've just quoted these verses, John 7, 37, 39. And then I would suggest you take John chapter 14 and 15 and 16. In the upper room, when our Lord is talking to his disciples just before he went to the cross, the Spirit of God is with you, but he shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He's going to leave them. Remember afterwards, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Well, where I'm going, you can't come now. You'll come afterwards. You remember this? Why can't I come with you now? I'm quoting, by the way, from the end of chapter 13 of John. They questioned the Lord on this. But in those three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, he promised them that when he, was, when he went back to glory, he would send the Spirit of God to indwell them. An amazing verse. The Spirit of God is with you. He shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. In that day you'll know I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Wonderful union. All right. Uh, I think I'll give you the three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. I think it's 16, verse 7, if you want the ones in chapter 16. All right, he anticipates the coming of the Spirit. Second thing, Paul taught that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Paul, you can't read the epistle without realizing this. Galatians 3, 2. 
He said, how did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. How did you receive the Spirit? Not by works, not through the law of Moses, but by the hearing of faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It first mentioned the Spirit of God in the book of Romans. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, which will be given to us, which has been given to us. That's Romans 5, 5. Romans chapter 8. And I suggest you put down there verses 8 to 11. No, I think I'll take it. No, take verses 9 to 11. 9 to 11. Where Paul wrote, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. Please notice, in that one verse, you've got the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Let me quote it again. Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Just by the way, he, in verses 5 through 8, he's bringing contrast by, by the flesh and the spirit. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be the spirit of God dwell in you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's not of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is under the sentence of death because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. How many are going to heaven? Well, supposing, how many believe the Lord's going to come for his own? How are you going to go up? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised in corruption, and we're all going to be changed. Now look you all over, you sure need to be changed. That's what I do when I stand before the glass and start to shade this old face of mine. I'm glad I'm going to be changed one of these days. Huh? Ditto, brother. <laughs> all right. Marvelously. You and I already have in us the power that's going to transform you from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruption. He's going to come in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, the trumpets of sound. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, to be forever with the Lord. By the way, I'm quoting two pastor scripture. I'm mixing them together. That's Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. Remember, we do not sorrow as the rest who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. We which are alive and remain, here we are. We who are alive and remain shall not go ahead of those who have died or are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air, to be forever with the Lord. I've already got that power of translation. That power to transform this body from mortal to immortal. Now listen, young people. If you and I have the power in us by the Spirit of God to do that, can't he control our lives now? 
I know. We have tests and trials and difficulties. Satan seeks to keep you from looking at the Savior and walking before him. But you have in you the power that raised Christ from the dead. And I repeat it, if I have the power as a child of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, to change my body from mortal to immortal, then I have the power in me to control this body. Whatever the test, whatever the trial may be. Trouble is, we depend upon ourselves. We say, oh, I'm going to do it, but you don't. It's the flesh. All right, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Uh, you follow through there when the question of the Spirit of God comes in. Uh, I hath not seen nor ear heard, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit that dwells in us. He's our teacher. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. How can I know these things of God? You have in you the Spirit of God. I will teach you. I will lead you, empower you. To live for God. Now, I said a while ago that the Christian life is a supernatural life. Can't be imitated by men and women. But we have the Spirit of God in each one of us who love Him, who trust Him. To live that life, that's pleasing to Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I will be using that verse again at another part of the ministry of the Spirit of God. Where we read, we've all been baptized by one spirit into one body. In the last part of the verse, and we've all been made to drink of that self-same spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13. And I tell you very frankly, if he doesn't indwell you, fellow, girl, then you're none of his. But if you have really put your trust in the Savior, that very moment he not only forgave you your sins, pronounced you righteous in his Son, but he came to indwell you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you take all those scriptures that have to do with Christ in you. For example, Colossians 1.27, where he talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you all know Galatians 2.20, don't you? I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. All those scriptures you have of Christ living in the believer. How does he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful thing. All right, the third thing. The Spirit comes to abide forever. I'm glad for this. In spite of all my failures and feelings and whatnot, experience of life, he never leaves us. He never, never leaves us. The Spirit comes to abide forever. I'd suggest John 14, 16 to 17. I quote that verse before. The Spirit of God is with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Um, he comes to abide with us forever. Wonderful thing. You have it also in chapter 15, 16. 
Well, what about carnal believers? That's an amazing thing. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where four times in those first four verses, Paul said to these Corinthian believers, you're carnal, you're carnal, you walk as men, your babies got to be fed and spanked. Hmm? That isn't in the Bible, by the way, but I'll put it in there. Uh, and yet, when you come to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, and starting at verse 19, don't you know? Don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of God? The sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? And you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits. See, I call the Corinthian church ignorant Christians. Not only carnal, but ignorant. Take that sixth chapter. Don't you know we're going to judge the world? Did you know that? Don't you know we're going to judge angels? Don't you know that? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. You're his purchased possession. See, Paul here is appealing for a, for a spiritual life. I don't want to teach Corinthians. Uh, uh, it's so parallel some of our churches today. The average believer is ignorant of the marvelous grace of God and what he's purposed in you and, and in me. Just think of it. Don't you know you're going to judge angels? Holy angels? Fallen angels? Don't you know you're going to judge the world? You're going to share with him in that. And don't you know that your body, with all its frailty and weaknesses, has become the temple of the Holy Spirit? And you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, which are God's. All right, the fourth thing. The fourth thing. Who abides, who abides in us? Was that I want to get now. Who abides in us? Let me get this thing very clear. The eternal, unchanging, sovereign God lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The one who opened blind eyes, cleansed lepers, raised the dead, fed the hungry, stilled the storm, raised the dead lives in you. I've got no excuse not to live for God. No excuse at all. I've had fellows say, you know, Mr. Mitchell, you know, I'm one of God's weakest ones. I said, are you excusing something you're doing? Are you excusing yourself on some things you're doing? Don't glory in your weakness but rather glory in the one who lives in you, who can give you deliverance, who can reveal who he is and what he is through you. The eternal, living, omnipotent God lives in you, lives in me. I can't find words to express this. It's what we have, though. 
As I said a moment ago, the one who fed the hungry, raised the dead unto all, lives in us. First, let me give you some scriptures. First John 4, 13. First, first the epistle of John. First epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 13. And also put down there, chapter 3, verse 24, where John there is urging. You remember the epistle of John, the apostle John is seeking to give to us the great theme of the epistle of John is fellowship. Fellowship with God who was holy in the first two chapters. Fellowship with God who was righteous in chapter 3. Fellowship with God who was love in chapter 4. But how can I live that court of a life? He's indwelling you, he's indwelling me. The Spirit of God, he keeps reminding them of the Spirit of God who lives in them. So remember that. What condescension, oh, how can it be? What shame he suffered, oh, what agony. And then the death he died, for sinners crucified. What grace is this? What grace is this? Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.